Hello, Cyclocross friends, and thanks for tuning in to episode 295 of Cyclocross Radio. On the show, I chat with Jeremy Boyd Peshkin, who is a race mechanic and kind of behind-the-scenes guy for nice bikes, also does some bike racing of his own, spent uh, the a time on the whole U.S. domestic circuit and then a good portion of time in Europe with the nice bike squad. Uh, also, also a, a um, an avid uh, photographer, film photographer. So we had a lot to chat about. Uh, full disclosure: we were going to do a media pit this week, and this is all on me. I, I hadn't watched last weekend's races and was feeling a little uh, unmotivated to to talk about the the last weekend of bike racing and uh, we're going to skip this episode and just uh, do our season recap for the media pit next week which we're still going to do and then I was just kind of like going through Instagram and I talked about this when we start the show and I I saw Jeremy's posting some stuff and I was like you know what I'm just gonna call up jeremy we're gonna chat and that's that's what we did so you know sometimes that's how these episodes come about and i'm glad they do because it's something a little different for me and a a little different for you as well cyclocross radio is part of the wide angle podium podcast network one of the original homes of independent cycling media You can check out all of the other podcasts we have on the network. Go over to WideAnglePodium.com. You can hit the donate button there and uh, support the shows that you listen to. You can uh, support individual shows. You know the spiel by now. It helps us do what we can do to bring you this podcast and all the podcasts on the network. WideAnglePodium.com. If you want to get in touch with me, that's feedback at cxers.com. I want to get in touch with the bulletin and Zach, that is cxersbulletin at gmail.com. Want to follow us on social media? All the links are down there in the show notes. All right. It's episode 295 of Cyclocross Radio. We got Jeremy Boyd Peshkin and myself. We're talking about cyclocross coffee cameras and what it all means and we're doing all of that right now jeremy how's it going it's going good bill how you doing I'm doing well. So as I as I mentioned before, we we've been doing this uh, in the media pit, just this long string of race coverage, which has been awesome. And I I got to the point this week. I think it's the the last weekend, and I I was I I, I told uh, Zach and Michael, I was like, I I didn't watch the races, and I just I'm just not prepared to do this. Let's just skip this week, and we'll do our end of the year awards and wrap up and everything next week and they were cool with that zach's just had back surgery so he's like no problem (laughs) happy happy not to do it i think michael was a little bummed but you know we'll catch up next week and then so i was like cool week off and then i was just sort of scrolling through instagram as we unfortunately do and saw some of your film photography stuff and i was like you know what I'm talk to Jeremy. That'll be a good thing just to just to do one on one and just sort of uh, um, have a have a little different conversation. So here we are. Yeah, happy to have you be here. It's fun to get dragged a little bit back into uh, back into the bike world again, kind of brought back to home. Well, yeah, let's let's kind of chat about that because. All right. I, I I know you from just mainly just seeing you at, at races. You know from seeing you race some, but then also this year sort of fall full in with nice bikes kind of in charge of taking care of all the bikes and just sort of the installation and a lot of behind the scenes kind of stuff. But before we even get into that, um, tell me a little bit about just, uh, getting into bike racing in general. I'm assuming in Chicago, is that where that started? 
Yeah, def- definitely in Chicago. Um, in Chicago, Chicago is a fun place to become a bike racer because there is such a rich community, both in racing and just in cycling in general. And it has, you know, if you've you've been to say Trek Cup, you've kind of gotten a flavor of Midwest bike racing, but it's it's a very fun um, and welcoming and inviting kind of atmosphere. So yeah, I kind of got dragged into into racing in the in the Chicago the Chicago cyclocross scene. So started actually racing in cyclocross before anything else, and then dabbled here and there in road and a little bit of track and eventually mountain biking, and just kind of yeah wanted to try it all because the options there. And so it's been you know a few years of racing and starting to travel a little bit more, and you get more and more curious and. Things just kind of grow from there. It's funny. We were uh, actually on a, on a text chain and with, uh, I was on a text chain today with uh, Michael and we we're trying to figure out what the, uh, you know, when, when, when cyclocross UCI cyclocross race racing started in the U S and just, just try to pinpoint that. And, and, and through going through this, I was like in the cycling news archives pulling up, Chicago Super Cup races from 2000, the year 2000, where yeah. where a, a a U23, a newly minted U23 champion Tim Johnson beat Mark Gullickson at the uh, 20 2000 um, uh, Chicago Cup, and I was just like, man, this is we've been doing this for a while. <laughs> yeah, some of those, some of their, I guess, probably not so much anymore. Until quite recently, we were still racing at some of those venues too. The, the 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 thing also that was a really interesting reminder just re- reading the story from there was not only you know you look at the just some of the legends of the sport that were were racing in the men's and women's races at that event but then also it's just starting out with 2000 people showing up to watch this just regular UCI race and I'm like wow we wow we don't really see that anymore yeah a different time yeah so um do doing that racing in 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 Chicago. So how how like five four or five years? I mean, how long you been? Um, yeah, I think I started racing in twenty seventeen. Okay, here here's yeah. here's the other thing. Here's and I'm sorry, don't don't take this the wrong way. And and and, and this may just Try come me. from uh, your love of film photography and sort of this kind of like old school ethos. When I saw that your racing age was twenty eight, I was like. Yeah, some reason I thought he was older than that. <laughs> yeah, but every year on my birthday I turn seventy-five. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I think, and then the next really place that I would see you was with um, it was uh, this year a ton with with nice bikes and just uh, how did you get hooked up with that crew and uh, tell me a little bit about that operation? Yeah, well. Ma- Nice Bikes was kind of interesting. Nice Bikes grew out of the uh, Pratt Racing team of years past, which had been racing a lot on the track, done very well on the track, fixed gear crits, and last year really starting in on cyclocross. And my good friend and fellow former Chicagoan, uh, Austin Killips, was racing for them. And so kind of had had a little bit of a way in a little bit of way in to meet Max and Caitlin and the rest of the Nice Bikes crew through through her. And I met them at Jingle Cross last year, and we just kind of stayed in touch. And earlier in this year, they let me know, hey, you know, we're looking at really hitting the road at a bigger scale with a team this year, and we need a mechanic and someone who's willing to try and help us run a cyclocross team. Would you be interested? And that's basically how it started and how it continued and how it's going is we're just, we started a little bit flying by the seat of our pants and we are still going. So what's your background on working on bikes? My background, background working on bikes. I've been working in bike shops in Chicago pretty much on and off for the last, well, since 2015 and when I started racing, I would be working on my own bikes because that's how you can afford to race your bike as a bike mechanic. And then periodically would 
jump in and help folks at cyclocross races. So, you know, other Chicago racers, Maria Larkin and go down and help her out at Cincinnati sometimes. And then, you know, just, there's not a lot of people out there who are working on cross bikes at races. And most of the ones who are, are already, already spoken for. So just kind of, you know, I'm not going to claim to be the most experienced race mechanic, but they gave me the opportunity to kind of jump in and learn with them. And that's what we did. Yeah. If you think about it, it really is a, a pretty small community that, that, that you're part of. And it's, a it's, it's really the same faces year after yeah. year. So it's actually, it's yeah. actually nice getting some newer, not to say you're, you know, totally new at this, but just, you know, haven't been at it for 30 years, like, uh, some of the people in there. So it's, yeah. it's cool and to get some new folks out there. As you mentioned, seeing just around the circuit, it's, it is really cool actually getting to go do the entire domestic calendar this year, because then you're at every single race, every single weekend. And it really is a very small group of people who are making that whole tour, you know, the, the traveling circus as it were, but it is the same people at every race. And it's kind of fun to see, you know, you show up in Arkansas and same people are there and you show up and go to Cincinnati the next week and the same people are there in Northampton. And it's just, yeah, it's, it's a very small group. And if you show up at three or four in a row or more, everyone kind of is like, Oh, well, I guess we're not getting rid of you. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I feel the exact same way for me. And it's, it's actually, it's one of the, one of the parts of, of domestic cyclocross racing, especially at that UCI level that, that I enjoy the most. I mean, it really is that, that community is something that, you know, I love, I love seeing the racing. I love covering the racing, but at the same time, just being able just to see the people behind the scenes week in and week out is, is, is a lot of it, a lot, a big part of it for me. It's really something I've come to look forward to actually is just, you know, whatever, whatever chaos happens during the week, you know, wherever I'm driving through to get to the next race, I know Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I'm going to see the same people. And it kind of like it, in a way, wherever that block of tents gets set up, starts to feel a little bit more like home than home actually does for, for that duration of time. It, it's also, it's funny too, because it's, uh, you know, I, all of the different riders that you all are supporting are competing against each other, but there, there is sort of this, um, you know, brothers and sisters in arms part of it that, that you all are going through with the same, same issues from venue to venue from getting there. And like, uh, you know, even looking at week one, the, the parking, not exactly going the way it was supposed to at go cross and everybody having to shift yeah. 10 feet, but it's like, nobody's getting like worked up about it and just kind of working together. And I'm sure that it comes into the same thing, you know, granted it's a whole different story once it's a world cup or you're in Europe, I'll, I'm talking about like in the pits and that kind of stuff. I think it's a different environment at the domestic races than it is there, but at the domestic ones, it's like, it's not, it's not cutthroat between you all. You're doing what you need to do for your athletes, but it's like, you're not getting in, you know, anybody else's way. No, I think it's too small. Yeah. You know, there's, it, you are going to see this because you're going to see the same people every weekend. Like, you know, if you're, if you're trying to screw someone over for a slightly better parking spot one week, you're going to have to see them and deal with them the next week and the week after that and the week after that. So aside from the fact that it's just easier to be nice to people, like it's really going to bite you if you aren't. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So even, even from the, you know, at the races, just even before that, like the one thing, the one thing that I, I noticed just even with, with your setup from the beginning of the season was the truck slash trailer slash service course that you created. What, I mean, do you have some background in, in, in construction, woodworking, what, what is it that, 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 that gets you? Cause it's a, it's a great setup that you have. And a lot of the stuff is, it looks like it's all custom. Yeah. It's, it's it kind of an interesting thing. We were trying to figure out before we really even understood the scope of how, just how much equipment you need to support five riders all over the country for cyclocross of all disciplines being especially equipment heavy we're trying to figure out what to do. Like, are we going to get a trailer and tow it behind, you know, a truck or what? And a few things happened. One was we realized that we only have street parking <laughs> where we're based in Providence. And the other was that we found a really good deal on a used box truck on Facebook marketplace. So we ended up with a used box truck and then Max, 
you know, has a background in furniture design and is a really accomplished wooden metal worker. And I have a background in machining and welding. And so between the two of us, we kind of looked at it and we're like, well, we can, um, yeah, it's, it's an empty box. We can make whatever we want out of it. And so we just have to decide what to do. So we made a list of everything that needed to go in the truck and then tried to figure out for every single thing a way to store it. And then we just went down that list and built all of it. After going through a whole season, what, w- what would you change doing this uh, for a future season? There's a lot of little details to change. Um, it's interesting, though, because the overall setup didn't change very much over the course of the season. We just got better at using it. So at the beginning of the season, it was, you know, it was, it's always such an effort loading the truck and getting everything in. And we're like, wow, we might need a bigger truck. And by the end of the season, you know, it takes half as long as you're loading and unloading the same things. And there's more space left over and you've found more nooks and crannies. So definitely, I think, you know, just more organization is always better. There's so many small parts. And when the easier you make it to put small parts back, the harder it is to lose them and the less time you waste looking for them and tracking them down. And so definitely, I think I would go even more organized next year. But And there's other little changes as well that we, I'd make to the bike and wheel storage. But nothing major. I think it's, you know, we had a place for everything. And that's all you can ask for. Speaking of place for everything, how high on your list of priorities was the coffee setup? Very, <laughs> very high on our list of priorities. Um, we all, we all run on, run on coffee and it's like, well, you know, we're going to have power anyway, because we have to run a pressure washer. We're going to have water anyway, because we have to be able to drink. So why not bring a coffee maker? Yeah, it was nice. That was, that was, uh, that's, that's something that I look forward to as well. Seeing you, I was like, oh, got the good coffee stop. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's a, it's something I've kind of joked about with Max is when I'm, when I'm done working at races, I'm just going to start a little coffee truck and go to races. (laughs) Perfect. There you go. It's a good, lucrative business. So you said background machine and welding. What's, uh, what is that background? What is that background? Um, you know, my dad's a carpenter, so I kind of grew up in that workshop type of environment. And then through high school, I was working summers at a local machine shop. And it just kind of, it's always been something that I do is tinkering and working, you know, went to school for mechanical engineering. And after, after leaving school, kind of putzed around through that, through that world. I worked in a couple small shops, worked, ended up working in a hospital, doing some prototyping work, and then fell out of that and into bike shops. But it's always been something that I kind of do in the middle is I, I like to make things. I like to modify things. And it feels both like a fun way of solving problems and it's really relevant in the bike world where nothing fits and everything needs to be modified a little bit but it's also just nice to make the world feel a little bit less permanent a little bit more malleable yeah and it's also that it's it's i always look at it what i what i appreciate with people that have have your skills is it's um it's a kind of problem solving that you can actually put your hands on and 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 fix things or make yeah, things better. It's more fun too to just instead of looking at something being like, well, that that's not going to work. Like it's way more fun to look at it and go, well, that can be made to work. Yeah. And I think it's probably probably a healthier outlook long term, but it's certainly more fun. Yeah. I was I was like in your off season I, I just saw you had on uh were posting about uh some dark room equipment that you were uh mocking up for for someone and i was like oh darn that's that's the kind of stuff i should have should have gotten you or, or actually not even know oh, darn i'm like what is it i can i can uh commission jeremy to to work on that i can get something uh, anything anything you want <laughs> i love projects <laughs> i don't know how to sit still so but anything you want. <laughs> that was you know that that's sort of like takes me into this kind of other other part that I would I think that we we have in common and I'd always uh be excited to chat with you about it at races is that when you had a free moment you'd be out there with a film camera kind of just shooting I I don't know if you I I don't think that you really shot the racing, but just sort of the atmosphere and the environment of the events, which I I I really appreciated, and I like I I loved it that 
it, it, it looked like to me, like film is film is hip right now. It's hot. Everybody wants to get film cameras in there, but it seems like you, you kind of already had this investment in it. And, and it's like, I don't even know if you've ever touched a digital camera. <laughs> I do. I do own one in my defense. Uh, no, it's it was fun. I mean, too. It's you know I, I've been into photography for a pretty long time, but a lot of that stuff has really sat dormant over the last few years. Um, you know, I had one camera that I traveled with because it just goes with me everywhere. But everything else I had sitting in a box until about half in my storage unit until about halfway through cross season. Um, and photography became something that I could do again this year when it, when you're on the road doing cyclocross, like, like sports in general are a very consuming thing. Um, and, you know, I, I felt really lucky to have been able to put so much effort into my job and so much time and like make doing cyclocross my full-time job is a pretty magical thing, but I don't know how to hit pause on things in my life. And I needed something to do again that was still tangential to bikes and bike racing because that's just kind of at my core at this point. But being able to go out and get a camera again and run around the bike race and experience it a different way was a really nice distraction, a way for me to unplug and stop worrying about whatever parts I need to replace or whatever's next on my to-do list and just make something for the sake of making something. But and still get to experience races, which I really, you know, I love hanging out at bike races. I love watching bike races. I love participating in bike races, but get to experience that through a slightly different lens as it were. So, you know, going back and digging all that stuff out was really fun. And then handing it off to people at bike races kind of became a thing I would do and find someone who'd come to the tent and be like, Hey, you want to take this camera from the fifties and just, it's got a roll of film in it, just run around, take a bunch of pictures. I don't care. Just shoot the whole roll, bring it back to me. And like getting people excited about it, like, Oh, and then getting them excited to create something and bring it back. Just kind of felt like sharing a little bit of that excitement. So that became kind of the theme of the year then was, yeah, both me running around when I can with a camera because I love to, but also then trying to see if I can inject a little bit of that excitement into other people at the race. Yeah, I, did, I don't know if I, I, I realized you were doing that, but the, and then I guess the, the great thing about the setup that you have is that you were into the whole process of it. So from, you know, bulk loading your own film, but the, even to developing everything and then, and then printing stuff as well. So that's, that's got to add to that yeah. enjoyment of, of getting somebody else's film where you're not just like sending it off to a lab, but you're developing it yourself. <laughs> yeah. I sometimes joke to Max that like, if, if it was still a thing you could be, I would just be a film lab tech. Um, so, <laughs> so I kind of here's, here's decided a, to make I, that reality I, myself. And so here's here's my proposal for you: when you you know you convert the the race rig into the coffee shop, make it into like one of those old fashioned photo mat booths. And then you oh, could, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Where, where you just like the four photos, yeah. Where you just hand, no, where you just hand off. Not even that, no. You just hand off your okay. And that now you're showing your age of not being very old. Where you would actually go into the parking lot <laughs> of the of the supermarket, and there'd be this little booth there with a guy, and this was his full time or a full-time job, but you just, they sat there and they took your rolls of film. And then, you know, you drive back later in the day and pick up your developed film. And they were like processing uh, everything in these okay, little, like that kind of photo booth. Yeah. These little photo mat huts, you know? And yeah. I'm into it. Yeah. All right. You get, you get all of the, uh, you know, I know it's the same traveling circus of photographers at every race. You get them all shooting film and I'll show up with the one hour photo at every single race. I, I, I think we're on to something here and I'm telling you, I, I joked about we'll make it. it happen. I joked about it this year. I'll do it. I joked about this year that I think that, you know, it, I'd say 20% of us at nationals had film cameras you know, we, we had, we ran the gamut from like Brett Rothmeyer, who was only shooting film to, I think a lot of the rest of us who were trying to somehow work it into our workflow, uh, for me unsuccessfully. But, you know, even, even at world, I was like, I just like got my, um, negatives from world. And, and I think I shot what, like 3000 photos, maybe more. And I shot 
15 fold focus. On, 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 though. yes. Your, your negatives and worlds are fantastic. Thank you, thank you. Here, here's the I'm other- i tell everyone to go check them out. <laughs> well, here, here's the other, the other funny thing about that is that, you know, and, and I'm the same way, I want like a cool camera that I can just, that, that it, again, it's about process, it's about just slowing down, it's about maybe even having to, you know, manually meter and do everything else. But for that trip, I got a, I found a, a, a Nikon F5, which in the day was like a $3,000 camera. Like if you, like, I think $24,000 at that time. So like five, $6,000 camera at this point in today's, in today's money, but it's not a cool camera. So it was like $200 oh. And it's like the I mean, most I think advanced I think camera. You ran into me at nationals shooting the race with my F5. So, <laughs> yeah, and, and I understand. It's an insane camera. I mean, it is so so good, autofocus, everything. And I was like, but it's not cool, you know. Like people don't want them, which I just I I, I don't I don't get. So it's yeah. on them. <laughs> it is very cool. Yeah, it's insane. No, I'm I'm telling you, it's like I'm shooting like my you know camera I spent way too much money on that I just work on and I'm like they're kind of you know the autofocus is better on that Sony camera but not that far off you know you're still getting yeah. a good good hit rate and, and you're shooting on film so but but all yeah. of that being said like in my workflow I was able to like remember that I had that camera for maybe like 10 minutes out of the day at Worlds. Yeah that's crazy I mean it's just well, it's not a light camera either, so you're, you're, you, it really is the albatross around your neck at an event like that where you have to move around through those insane crowds. You were, you were but able that to... That kind of became... Yeah, I was to say, you were able to do some, some, some shots in, in, in Europe too. It's, I, I loved, you got like a lot of good crowd yeah. stuff. Yeah, I had my little pocket camera, and especially at Worlds. Like, I, didn't, I went to Worlds to spectate, um, as it were. I don't really think you go to world like you don't, I don't you don't go to worlds as a spectator to watch the bike race, especially on Sunday. Like it's just you have to be the diehard fan who shows up super early and is going to stand at your one spot on the fence all day if you want to see any bike racing. But it's so rare, especially you know as you were alluding to earlier in the U.S. with when you know it was pretty amazing. We used to have like two thousand spectators show up to a bike race. And now it's, you know, it, uh, well, well-attended races do exist. Trek is always well-attended. Um, Fayetteville Worlds was well-attended. But it's just such a foreign experience for me as an American bike racer to go to a bike race and not be able to walk around because the venue is shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder with spectators. Um, and so I went to Worlds to watch the crowds. Yeah, absolutely. And if I, you know, wasn't working and didn't have access to places that people weren't allowed to go to yeah it would have been i would have been the same because you, you you couldn't move and it's it's interesting because people have this idea that oh you haven't really you know experienced cyclocross until you've seen it live in europe and i think that there, there's something to that i think experiencing that is definitely legitimate you know a, a goal to go to go see but i would say and i, I wonder what you feel about this don't necessarily go to Worlds. Oh, absolutely not. There's so many other good races that you can actually have that experience of walking around and seeing the race instead of being just stuck in one yeah. spot. Oh, absolutely. Like, again, I, I went to Worlds because I was already there and I might as well. But Worlds would not have been my choice of, like, if I want to go experience Excite the Cross race, you know, I would go to a race like Zonhoven. You know, Zonhoven, it's still, it's a big iconic venue. It's beautiful. Um, even, even in perhaps especially the parts that you don't see as much on the coverage. But you can get jammed shoulder to shoulder in the pit if you want to. You can go hang out in the party tent. You can also go off to the backside of the course and there's no one. And you can sit down and you can pick a little corner, a little rut to watch. And you can watch every single rider go through up close and watch what they do and watch who's fast and who's not. And you can be six inches from their wheels if you want to be. And then you can go back to the crowd on the other side. And that's basically every race except Worlds where there is no inch of the course that isn't six people deep long fences. Yeah, I, I was, I, I tried to explain it to people. I was like, yes, the crowds are really big, but it's still, it's still manageable. And a lot of times they're like golf crowds, right? Like they, they kind of follow the action yeah. around a little bit. So it's, yeah. it's more, it's more 
if you wanted to find your spot, you can always do it. And then there are all these just great little races that still have amazing crowds. Like I think some of my favorites yeah. this year was like Rudavorta, which is basically just a small field that they've built all this like fun amusement park cyclocross things in. Yeah, didn't get to go there. That was too early in the year. But like Odegem is a very similar vibe. Yes. It's on a Monday. It's in a small town. The mayor personally pays for the DJ to come. <laughs> was a uh, was it DJ Benny? No, it was DJ Glenn. Okay. <laughs> I think DJ Benny may have, he was like all over the place. I think when I was there in 2019, may have retired. I, we can, I, if there are people who, who knows? know yeah, better. I should, I should, <laughs> I'll have to get sleuthing on that one, figure out really tracking the movements of the Dutch rate or Dutch and Belgian race DJs. Yeah, it, it definitely, it definitely is a scene. It, I, I think it was, uh, Hulaham was the event that it hit home when we were leaving and I think the queue to get into the venue, like after the men's race ended, was probably longer than it had been all day long. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's funny. There have been a number of times when, you know, this is my first time doing more than a couple of races in Europe. And there were definitely some times where you're parked way out in the sticks because that's just how parking is. And I'm trying to figure out how to get to the actual course. And you can just kind of listen. You listen for like the bass thumping in the party tent. You're like, ah, go that way. And that'll get you there. That That's when you need to, uh, just with the, with, when you get your, you have to spend some more money, but when you go to Europe and you get your, you rent your sprinter van and then just get it wrapped and have it say like, specialized or trek just along okay. the whole thing or just some big like canyon so and we inadvertently did this experiment actually yeah okay where we period we just rented a plain white enterprise van and we drove around and got good at trying to communicate with the parking people and after the christmas period we would rent a big van from from watersley the watersley sports and talent park people and it has the big you know watersley r&d team on the side and the whole thing's wrapped and it's covered in sponsor logos and you show up to the race and they just wave you in yeah yeah that's how we, like we with the uh, cxr's devo we you know had access to like the trek factory racing vans it's like we got great parking at like these oh, yeah. world cups they were like absolutely go and we're like cool we're not really anybody but We'll take advantage they of it. They don't this. have to know that. Exactly. Yeah, we showed up in the water sleeve van and you'd get the guy on the bicycle who like shows you to your parking spot. <laughs> were, yeah, I mean, there were a couple Amazing. times like like we were like, oh, you must be part of like Balois. I was like, sure. Yeah, put us next to them. That's fine. If we're two feet from yeah, whatever, the course. Whatever gets you close. Yeah, exactly right. So when you were at the, uh, when you're working for nice bikes in, in Europe, women's race is over you're basically done. Were you able to then watch any of the races or was it just like cleaning up and washing up and, and getting out of there? Sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes we'd stick around and watch the men's race. Um, it, you know, kind of if the race was again, it's, we weren't always there to watch the race. So usually it was like, if the race is especially cool, we'd stick around like Degum absolutely going to stick around and watch the race. Um, and there were a few others, but for the most part, it just kind of, especially during the Christmas period, I think we did 12 races in the Christmas period. So it was just day in, day out, race, 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 race. And we were kind of just the women's race finishes and just like the wash up all the bikes, put it in the van and I want to go home. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So not a lot then, but definitely the later races, we'd, we'd stick around if the venue was cool or, you know, walk back in, you get free entry, you have your wristband anyway. And I spectated a couple of the races that we didn't, that we didn't watch that were close or work that were close by just because again, you know, I'm there. It's cool. It's different. I want to experience it. Degum def definitely getting a lot of votes, not to tip cards for our show next week for, um, race of the year. Just give me yeah, a little, give yeah. me a little of the flavor. Degum. I have really mixed feelings about Degum. Degum was kind of a disaster for us to work. <laughs> You know, you get parked so far away and it was dark and raining and we didn't act, weren't super well prepared. So, you know, working on bikes up with headlamps in the dark and the rain was not super fun. It was kind of cold. Also, Deacon's an interesting race because it's one of the two that has the split pit where pit one and pit two are in opposite parts of town. So you just kind of pick a pit and 
if your rider needs to pit in the other one, too bad. Um, but Degum as a race to spectate is very, very cool because the race course is the town. Um, and, you know, they're just, the course goes down people's, through people's yards and they're watching out the windows from their living room. And I have never seen, Degum, I think, sets the record for like spectator height. Not necessarily like how deep people are stacked against the barriers, but how many people are stacked on top of each other to watch parts of the race. You know, people climbing on telephone poles and fences and each other. Degum definitely sets the spectator height record for me, I think. It's a very cool race. I was I was talking to Ethan Glading about this because he shot that race and yet yeah, said it was just it was insane just trying to work out a plan where you could get to the finish in time and stuff. And and the thing that you see on TV, but you never see any photos of and just talking to him, he was just it's just impossible to get there and back. Yeah. Is, is the part of the course that looks like an alley cat, like going down <laughs> like actual alleys with like trash cans yes. in there and that kind of stuff. Like that, I'm just like fascinated by that part of the course. You look at that part of the course. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's parts of the course where it goes between two people's houses and there's some trash cans in there. And even without the trash cans, it's, what, three and a half, four feet wide? You, I don't know that you could pass in those parts of the course because it's just buildings. It's, we actually inadvertently ended up with really a really good spot to watch the finish of the race because we were walking back to the finish line. And there's we like walked out of town and then back into town to get around the course because that was faster than trying to cut across five course crossings. And there was some metal barricades and we just walked through and we were all still wearing our pit wristbands so no one stopped us. And we ended up in the 80% zone right behind the big light-up banner at the end of the start-finish straight, um, you know, right as Wout and Pidcock were coming up the stairs and kind of had the best seats in the house for the finish on that one. Nice, nice. Any, any, other, uh, any other races or events from your, from your time over there really stand out? You know, Zonhoven, Zonhoven was a really good one um, because, however... You know, Zonhoven looks big and daunting and impressive on the screen. And however it looks on the screen, it really is more in real life. And it's probably, the other than Worlds, the most energetic crowd, where from the far end on the back, back side of the course, you can hear exactly in the pit where all the riders are, just from the crowds. But I, do th- I think my favorite is Zolder. Uh, partly because Zolder is, this is this is my hot take. I think Zolder is my favorite course on the European circuit. Um, but also, Zolder was just a beautiful day to do a bike race. <laughs> uh, it was just the most the most stunning light. Beautiful. I mean, it's a beautiful venue. That whole area with the, with the trees and the, the way the ground is is very pretty. And it was a great race. So I'm you know huge soft spot for for Zolder. Also Zonhoven. But Degum was Degum was the most dramatic, I think. Yeah, yeah. I've, I, it's it seemed like a good year for for catching just just a good. It was I, a real treat. Yeah, yeah. The the for the we were there earlier in October and it was wild because it's the first like sustained time I've been in Belgium where it was like sunny every day. It was just crazy. Like I think we yeah. got like one day of rain maybe. I was just. It, was, it 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 literally showed that area in a new light, <laughs> which was kind it of was, funny. It was really beautiful. Um, you know, even where we were staying just out in the Dutch countryside, it was a really beautiful place to be. Um, I kind of went expecting, 50, you know, forties and fifties and raining, as it usually is. And when I got there, it was well below freezing and snowing, and then it was just beautiful pretty much the rest of the time. Did you have a bike with you? I did have a bike with me. I got to ride it a little bit. You didn't. You didn't get to get out on any courses, did you? I did not get out on any courses. No, no. I did ride a lot of local trails and single track, though. Nice. Did you? Did you play the uh, the 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 game I uh, I like to play in Belgium when you're out for a ride? Bike path or road? Oh man, I'm really bad at that game. <laughs> Um, where 
I just default to assuming that everything is a road. Right. And then I'm riding on the road and the cars get mad because there's a perfectly good bike path and why aren't you using it? And I respect that because they, they have built fabulous bike infrastructure. But I have no idea what's what. Right, because you'll be on a, a, a bike path that's, you know, three meters wide and all of a sudden this yeah. huge, huge truck will be like coming like barreling down. I mean, they're all respectful, but I was just like, huh, yeah. I guess this is a road, not a bike path. Yeah. But they're so narrow. I, enjoy, I enjoy that. Yeah. I enjoy that actually. I thought it was really nice, but yeah, definitely threw me for a loop a little bit. Did have, I never did figure out the right of way with bikes and roundabouts. Um, because I know everyone just yields to the bikes, but it's really hard to program my American brain that way. Oh yeah. No, you, we, we are such beaten children when it comes to, you know, riding our bikes in other places, just expecting everybody to yell at us and be mad. It's, yeah. it's, it's tough to break out of that. Yeah, it is fun though. I mean, there, and then there's also the flip side of that is riding down a road where you just, you know, a bunch of cars come by you the other way and then you carry on down the road and you know it's a road because a bunch of cars just went by and it gets narrower and twistier and narrower and like, where did they come from? How did they fit here? I don't know. <laughs> so, so you, they came from somewhere. Right, exactly. So talking about riding and you, you mentioned that you were uh, back to back to training again. So put putting in some miles, any, 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 um, ambition to do more more racing in the in the coming season and have anything other planned other yeah. than uh, cyclocross i'm gonna be doing a lot of you know cyclocross is actually a tbd for me at this point i learned the lesson this year that it really is for me too much of an ask to work cyclocross and race cyclocross because you have to pick one to be good at um and i would rather not be medium to bad at both but I'm definitely going to be doing a lot of mountain biking this summer. I've really, really fallen in love with mountain biking. So I'll be heading out west for, you know, some of the old Epic Rides races, Whiskey Off-Road and Grand Junction and do a little bit of racing back home in the Midwest because I do still, Midwest bike racing really is special. And then just exploring New England. I guess I live in New England now and it's charming. And I'd really like to get to know New England and the cycling community here and see what that's all about. So you, you've 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 committed to living in in New England now. This isn't like a temporary spot. You're there. I mean, everything's temporary to an extent. <laughs> but no, I mean, I, this is I've got no reason not to be here right now. It's really nice. Um, Providence is a very cute place to be, uh, and honestly, the riding the riding is great. I love being out of the city in ten minutes instead of an hour. And just being on the road in the farm country, so I'm I'm enjoying New England. There's a lot of new places to explore and new things to experience. Nice whiskey, by the way, is a great event. I don't know if you've been there before. Oh, it's a bu- it's been a bucket list race for me. Yeah, I'm so excited. And right, and I will you be doing the uh, pro race for that? Oh yeah, yeah. That's why I assume that. So yeah, you'll, you'll be you'll get way, to it's the way to go for sure, and you'll get to experience the uh, fat tire crit as well, which is amazing. Yeah, this is also like the I don't know I don't know if this is the the, the publicly acknowledged hack, but you get twice the racing for half the price. Yeah. So it's it's really the value pack doing the pro race. Yeah, it's it's beautiful. The the ride it's it's one of my one of my favorite events. Hopefully, I'll be out there. Yeah, it's a twofer. Well. I've o- never been to Prescott. Uh, always wanted to never done whiskey, always wanted to get to check both those boxes off. And then the next week is Grand Junction, which is in the area. And since I'm going all the way out, I might as well. Yeah, that's another good one. Another good one. Yeah. Yeah. Just, you know, also, especially with the last few years and the way the racing calendar has changed through, through, during and after COVID, it's kind of made me realize that a lot of the races that I want to do might not necessarily be around forever. And so I'd really just better do them if I want to. That's, that's kind of where I'm at as well. I think it's, uh, and I, I mean, you're in the same place now too. I think, I, I, I think that, I mean, funny enough, I think Adam Meyerson's race is the only UCI race I haven't been to ever, uh, <laughs> Northampton. Sorry, Adam. Uh, other, other than that, I think I've, I think I've done pretty much all, all of the other, uh, UCI races and kind of the same, you know, I, thankfully I was kind of doing the mountain bike things when all of the Epic ride 
were, were, were still there and was able to do them. But I, I think you're right. It's like, you know, take advantage of this, this time we have now with these races, hopefully more will come along. Hopefully more, you know, people will race gravel, which is great and do these longer ones, but then get this itching for more mountain biking. And maybe that'll spur on organizers to, to, to bring back some of these, um, uh, longer, more challenging, fun mountain bike events. Yeah. And I, you know, that is actually one thing that I think we should give a little bit of credit to Lifetime for, of all things, is really putting some of these longer format mountain bike races in the spotlight by way of putting them in their series. And, you know, even I don't really care to argue about Leadville or other race or you know races like that as mountain bike races you're riding riding a mountain bike it's a mountain bike race um but i think further elevating those races is gonna just broaden the audience to show people that hey these races exist and they're really cool and there's a story to tell around them and if more people show up maybe more of them will happen again yeah yeah, you know it, it's it's interesting too because it's it's i mean i guess this is kind of the philosophical part of this conversation but it seems like for most people and i understand it that's more appealing to do to do a race like that to do a race that you're paying more than what you pay for a cyclocross entry but you're getting this full day experience and challenge and and feel like you've you know completed something at the end of it instead of possibly beating your head against a wall for 45 minutes and getting pulled or, you know, not getting the result, you know, it's like this whole different thing. But at the same time, you know, we wouldn't be doing what we do if we didn't love cyclocross that much and just kind of the sport itself. My first love and will always be my favorite. I think that it is analogous to cross country mountain biking at this point and, and, and that, that 90 minute effort is, it's, you know, cyclocrossing XC or sort of, sort of melding together almost in a very similar sport. I mean, you look at like the, um, world cup mountain biking and world cup cyclocross, there's not a whole lot of different there. You know, it's 75 minute races for one and 60, you know, 50 to 60 for, for the other. And, and people are just flying on there and it's a, it's a, a full out like threshold sport. And, it's, 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 I think that the goal now is to find the people who that appeals to and get them in, into that and, and show them that, that, that can be a lot of fun too. And, and not only on the amateur level, which is what we need, but at the, at the top level as well. Yeah. And I, I do think actually that that creates some opportunity as well, because as a sport continues to specialize like that, I think it then allows some of the things that may have been a little bit more of an outlier before, you know, those longer format races or other variations to kind of be given a little bit more air to shine. And, you know, it's, it's a, it's a bit of a, a bit of a dance because by specializing one thing away, you can suck all the air out and kill it, but you can also give air to other version to other variations and allow them to grow. And so it's kind of a delicate balance, I think, between damage and growth but the potential for both are definitely there. Yeah. And I think that's really interesting, both with XC and with cyclocross right now. Yeah, for sure. And I, I, I just, I, I, I love both those sports and I, I just think there's, there's a great opportunity. It's just, it's just trying to find how to, how to sell them, sell them to folks. So getting back to the domestic cyclocross scene, I know, <laughs> as you said, you're not going to argue about like, what is a mountain bike race or not? I know you're like a super positive person, but here's the thing you've done, you've, you've, you've kind of like been in the grind for, for domestic cyclocross for the entire year. What, let, let's start with the good. What, what do you think, what do you think that U.S. cyclocross is still getting right I mean, does, is attitude a, value, a valid answer here? Because I think... Absolutely. Yeah, def, definitely attitude. Like, U.S. US cyclocross is, is a whole vibe, for lack of a better word. You know, we have... We can argue for all, all we want about 
what American racing is like versus European racing and, you know, look at a European course and be like, oh, well, that's a very North American race. Or, you know, some American race and be like, oh, that's a very European race. But we have our style and people keep showing up because they like it. And I think that you can, you know, the, also the fact that we have every single week pro race aside, a lot of amateurs show up to ra- do the race because they like it and because it's fun and because we're creating a product that they want to buy. And I think North American Cyclocross does a really good job of that. Yeah. You know, as, as far as like the spectating aspect of thing go- things goes, it's not, you know, it's not our niche. We're, we're not basketball. Right. People aren't going because it's the sport. But we are, we have created a participatory sport that is a product that people want to buy. What, just seeing it close up, what do you think is the, like one of the top things that could be improved or may, may, it may not even be a tough thing to, to, to change that would enhance that experience for people or even, even racers at the, at the highest level. Man, if you'd asked me like three weeks ago when I I was still too deep in it and really grumpy, this would have been an easy question. Now it's actually kind of (laughs) hard. Maybe that's a good thing. Maybe, maybe with just some time. it It is good. I mean, I think. And do you think the calendar is fine? Do you think that? I think depth and depth. No, I think depth and density of the calendar. Yeah. You know, it's, it's been a really mixed bag of not having split weekends anymore. On the one hand, it's created, you know, a situation where if you want to race on a given weekend, you go to the race that is happening on that weekend and everyone else who wants to race is there. You don't have, you know, some people hunting for points here and some people trying to pick which one less people are going to be at and go race there. But the other thing is that does mean that there's the same number of weekends in a season that does not change. And so you either have just less races outright or you have so many races back to back to back to back to back that people burn out. Um, Or really it's a little bit of both of them, I think. And there's just, you know, the net result of that is at some of the races, better competition, sure. Um, But it's also just there is less racing. I mean, it's been a few years now since we've had a UCI race west of the Mississippi. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like there's no cross racers out there. Right. No, exactly. Exactly. It's just, um, finding organizers that are willing to, to do that. Yeah. Which is, well, and then I don't, I don't envy that task. They've got a lot of things aside from just putting on a race, which is hard enough work on, you know, in and of itself. But it's also then if you want to put on a UCI race and you want to be that person who says, we're bringing back the split weekends. You have to argue with someone and take all of the flack for putting your race on the same weekend as someone else's. Right. Um, and I don't, I don't envy that. I don't love what it's created, but I don't envy that task. And I, I, I think the argument for that used to be, well, the U S is huge. It's, you know, you can fit a couple of Europe's in it. So it was almost like the, these UCI events were regional events, but I don't think that the, the depth of the field, can really support that. I don't think we're getting these huge fields at these races now yeah. and you would have these UCI elite fields that would be would be pretty small. So I think it's it's uh No, it's, and attendance it, overall is declining as well, so Yeah, it, it's not not exactly a supportive trend. So my my one of my proposals has always been to get rid of the double weekends. So you can have two races on a weekend, you know, a promoter can have two races, but only one of them is a UCI race. Mm. And, and that way, cause right now you could race one day for eight weekends and have an eight week season. But if you didn't want to do that, you know, you can still like clump up. If you're good, if you're landing on podiums, you can race just half of that. And still get like almost all of your C2 points that you can get plus whatever C1 you can accumulate. And if, if you're worried about points, if you're worried about going to Europe and, you know, the non-World Cup races still getting good grid position, you can accomplish that without having to go to all the races. But if you make it just like one UCI race per weekend, then you're, you're, you're at least 
constricting the opportunities that you have a better opportunity of getting more competition at those races. Yeah. And like, you know, full disclosure, I'm not a race organizer. I don't know what the numbers look like, but you know, I, I can't imagine that it would be a huge detriment to those races to lose one day of UCI racing. You know, is, is it really going to change the overall attendance that much? I don't know. I don't think so. And the other thing is, is it going to mean that some people have, I guess the one argument you could make would be for a lot of, a lot of people, you know, privateers, individual racers who are doing that UCI calendar, it costs about the same to do two races in a, you know, in a double weekend as to do one race in a weekend Yeah, because most of the cost is getting to and from the race. And so, you know, for, for a team like us, it wouldn't be a huge impact because we can still take riders to, you know, eight weeks and they're going to be less tired from doing eight races than from doing 16. Right. But if I were out racing on my own, you know, that might just mean that instead of doing eight, eight races in four weeks, I'm just doing four races. And so I can see that being a bit of a bummer. And I, I don't know how to reconcile that. You know, and, and there are 20 people in the men's and women's field who may lose half of their prize money. But it's, it, you know, because like, that's like, like a C2 goes 10 deep to pay out, right? Yep. So it's not like, like the prize money isn't affecting a lot of people. And, and yeah, I, I don't know. That was, I just. No, it's an interesting take though. I like that take. You know, I just, that's what I'm getting at is that I wish that, I wish that the U.S. could support a wider variety of races. Yeah. It's really cool that we have pockets and hot spots, you know, where there's a lot of racing and that's great. And I don't wish to see that go away. I just wish that there were enough to support having a race in Oklahoma and a race in Texas and a race in California and a race in Colorado, in addition to, you know, New England and Virginia and Ohio and Wisconsin. Yeah, you know, I think. Oh, I agree. I, I just wish that there were enough to have it be more rather than having to try to solve the problem of how do we make it seem like we have more when we don't. Yeah. I, I, I wish that, you know, there's a lot of wishing. Um, I think the mud fun isn't a, a great thing. That's for, how we keep the sport alive. We wish. Right. <laughs> for yeah. The mud fun for supporting development is something that is, is necessary. I, I, I'd almost, like to see a separate fund. And I know that's asking for people for even more money, but I don't know, corporate sponsorships, whatever. Again, it's money. Like saying we could find money, finding money is always the impossible thing. That's the thing. If we had a lot, if, yeah. if, if you had money, you could do whatever you wanted. But, but the thing is like, if you got to a point where you, you had this separate, this mud adjacent fund that went to supporting UCI racing in the U S I think that could go a long way too. That could help you have these West coast races that could help you get to a place that lifetime finally realized that they need to do. They didn't want to do it, but they were kind of like, thankfully saw the light and was like, we're not charging our elite racers to race. Like Europeans think this is a just absurd idea that they are professionals and have to come here and pay to race. Like they're the entertainment. They're supposed to be paid, not pay. So if you could get to a point where you had a fund that a helped support these races and then also could just wipe out registration fees for UCI races, then I think that that gets you to a whole, a whole different level. I mean, just traveling around the U S right now is so freaking expensive. And I, I can't even imagine being a privateer racer, having to go through the logistics of all of that. It is so expensive. Plus then you're getting knocked with like, what's a normal UCI race cost now? It's like at least $90, right? For Yeah. It's usually somewhere in the neighborhood of 60 bucks a day, 60 bucks a day. Yeah. So 120 for the for the for the for a weekend if it's a double weekend just wipe that out i know look i promoted races i know how this goes that's a huge hit like if yeah. you're if you're getting rid of that yeah, if you're but like 40 person field then you know you're just waving goodbye to 2400 bucks today right and 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 doing the same 
and I know this is a hard one. This is this was one of the things like DCCX we used to take pride in. People were like, how much is pro parking? I'm like, nothing. Come, we have a lot for you. Go park. You know, then that's like, those are the type of things. But I think that's that's kind of it. You Instead of looking at your elite fields as something, and I know people are going to be yelling at me for this. It's fine. It happens. Um, looking at for something to, to pay for that we should figure out a way where they are there so all of the amateur fields can watch cyclocross racing at the highest level. They shouldn't be paying to have to participate. That's, I don't know, that's, yeah, it's, I mean, it's if, like those little, those little the prestige, things. If the prestige in the racing is part of the attraction of putting on a UCI race, you know, other than just saying you're doing it and saying like, hey, we're going to have the best people come. Yeah, then there's, I, there could be an argument to be made there that half the, that part of the cost is, not just the additional cost to the UCI and to USAC, which is not insubstantial, but also subsidizing the racers. And, you know, would, would having that bigger field that would result from that be worth it? Maybe someone will have to try it. Let us know. Yeah, but it's also, I think it's... it's you it's, would get a bigger UCI field. That's well, that's sure. the thing. And that's, and, and what I, for the Grodio podcast we were talking to anna yamauchi and she is someone who's in the lifetime grand prix she is somebody who didn't start racing bikes i think she's you know in her early 20s and didn't start racing bikes until the beginning of the pandemic and like just one rock cobbler you know and, and it's somebody like that right who if you take away a lot of these barriers and they're not huge barriers and say, okay, this is more appealing. Why don't you go try this out? You know, do some races. You're fast, get a UCI license. And then you may go in there and just crush everybody. And then we found that talent. I mean, that that's like, it's just, we just like cut off a lot of, a lot of the people out there from, from even attempting it. And it's a sense of scale too, as far as the barriers go, you know, it doesn't necessarily seem like, $60 for a race entry is a huge barrier, but for a lot of people that is, you know, it's, and that's not even considering the cost of getting to a race that's not near you because there's only 10 of them in the country or the, uh, you know, $230 before taxes and fees that you have to spend on your license in order to be allowed to do those races. And all those, all those things add up to just, you know, for a lot of people that I know and for past me, just being too much. You, know, you just can't do it, or you can maybe afford the expense of going to a race once a year, and then why would you spend all of the additional upfront one-time fees? Um, and I think, yeah, I do think there's a lot of people out there who would show up and race if we could get rid of that. And a lot of them are probably extremely fast, and we wish we're racing more, but we don't know. We don't know about yeah, them. Yeah, and I know in the past that that never was an issue because your sponsor would just take care of all of that. But that's not the uh, that's not the reality we we live in yeah. for 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 most Who people knows? these days. Maybe if we start marketing it as short track gravel, people will put some money in before they catch on. But <laughs> I think that, I think that might be it. Yeah. It's even, it's even like we we're having this conversation today. It was sort of going on on Twitter when, because it just got announced that, um, uh, Trek's the only world cup this year. And people are saying, oh, why don't these people put on a world cup? And why don't these people put on a world cup? I'm like, it's a quarter of a million dollars just at the, at the, bare minimum to have a world cup race. Like it's like a hundred thousand dollars just in prize money. It's like th this money does not exist in cyclocross. It's awesome that Trek, you know, as I think it's, it's fine. It's good marketing. It brings their team over, but at the same time, a lot of that event is a passion project for them. It, if, if they, you know, wanted to look at it closely, it could go away. I'm glad that they do it. I'm glad they do it for the sport, but there's not a lot of other opportunities for people who want to make that investment in this sport. Yeah. I mean, unless we want to make the rainy park world cup happen. Oh, it'd be so great. <laughs> we just have to figure out, you know, it would have to be, um, which is fine. You know, we would just need barricades the whole way around since they now, I guess the, the, why they can't have a race <laughs> at that park anymore. Cause you're not so allowed to put stakes in the ground. So we just have to get the metal barricades for the whole, the whole way around. Well, We'll, we'll do the crossover, we'll do the crossover episode and we'll get all of the uh, barricades with the angled feet from the crit races and we'll just take them all and put them in rainy park for the cross race. <laughs> there you go. Perfect. Oh man. All right. I think we've talked for like an hour. 
I don't know. I feel like I talked a lot. Thank you for being a sounding board. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know what time is anymore. <laughs> this has been awesome. But thanks for having me, Bill. This has been a ton of fun. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for catching up. The Slow Ride Podcast, three idiots who are usually wrong. The Slow Ride Podcast, the titanium of podcasts. The Slow Ride Podcast. It's like if David Vanderpool had a podcast. The Slow Ride Podcast, the Zwift Racing of podcasts. The Slow Ride Podcast, find the real advice. The Slow Ride Podcast, the arrow helmet of podcasts. The Slow Ride Podcast, sport leader coming through. The Slow Ride Podcast, when's Lance gonna sue us? The Slow Ride Podcast, the experts in French cycling. The Slow Ride Podcast. Official Fan Experience Zone on Facebook. The Slow Ride Podcast, the gravel bike of podcasts. The Slow Ride Podcast, both vertically and horizontally compliant. The Slow Ride Podcast. New episodes every Tuesday.